Every American is acutely aware of the issues surrounding our health care system. We know miracles can happen, but we find ourselves bombarded by conflicting information and are uncertain of what and whom we can trust. We have some of the best medical care in the world for those who can afford it. Incredible new drugs that change people's lives but can be very costly. Many of the best doctors the world has ever seen, but not all are perfect. That's why Dr. Steve Feldman created the show, Getting Better Health Care, to help walk us through the labyrinth, helping us understand how to take better care of ourselves and to better understand the challenges, issues, controversies, and complexities of our health care system as it exists and as it could be. For better health care and a better health care system, listen to the doctor. Now, here's Steve. Welcome to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Feldman, founder of the drscore.com physician rating website. On our show, we've been talking about healthcare reform and the effects of the legislation. We've been talking with leaders of various regulatory and government bodies that have a hand in our healthcare system. Today, we're going to talk to somebody who's in the trenches about what hospitals are actually doing to give patients great medical care and to improve the quality of medical care here in the United States. Our guest today is Dr. Russell Howerton. He's Vice Chief Medical Officer at the Wake Forest University Baptist Medical Center. Dr. Howerton, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for taking time to be on. I wanted to start, if, if we could, by um, having you tell our listeners a little bit about what a modern medical center like yours does? Well, our medical center is focused on three missions, uh, as are most medical centers. We have a mission, first and foremost, to care for those who have health needs in our region and better their health directly through patient care. We then have a mission to train those who would in the future deliver health care to both our region and other regions. So we seek to grow leaders in healthcare for the future. And then lastly, at a most fundamental level, we seek to improve the health of those in our region and beyond by discovering new knowledge that we can impart to others to help care for patients both here and in other places. And those are our driving goals and a common theme across most academic medical centers. I would imagine that there might be some synergies between those three goals. Is that something that you see happening at your school? Well, they are inextricably linked in our medical center and other medical centers. Without one, uh, no other one can succeed. So we both have to be caring for patients to understand what are the needs, but yet we have to constantly be discovering answers to those problems for which we do not have a good answer at present. And the skill or, or special sauce at an academic medical center is to be able to touch those together very quickly, to bring something from the bench to the bedside in as short an order as is reasonably possible and train those who will carry it further. I find that some patients you know, are really excited to be in an academic medical center where they feel like they're getting the cutting-edge treatment, and then some are wary about whether they're being a guinea pig or whether they're just being cared for by a student. Do you think there's there's issues where people have to worry or any concerns? I would say that those concerns stemmed from an earlier time and place and that that would not characterize 
academic medical centers of which I am aware at the present time. We are a a model driven on placing the patient first and ensuring that the patients are exposed to and cared for by our faculty who, in the context of that care, lead and train others. Uh, there is no notion of a, quote, guinea pig in our organization. We do conduct research, but it, in every instance where research is conducted, it is with the full informed consent of those patients participating in a protocol that was carefully reviewed by a panel of experts. None of the day-to-day -day care on anyone who did not knowingly participate in such a trial would ever be what we would call uh, investigational or experimental. Besides the the great general care, are there are there any modern miracles that are taking place uh, at your medical center? Well, we like to have a saying that a miracle happens every day on Hawthorne Hill, and, and a miracle can be uh, when a common thing done commonly results in a wonderful outcome for someone or it can be when an uncommon thing is done for the first and different time. Certainly we are noted for our work in regenerative medicine here um, and efforts at growing new human tissues for implants. Yeah, I mean, that sounds so space age. Right. That is but one corner of what is being done here, but certainly one that has garnered a lot of worldwide attention. But we have pioneering efforts afoot in cardiovascular disease and oncology and many other diseases that receive less newspaper time than, than our regenerative medicine institute, but help just as many patients. I think your concept that miracles are happening every day is is a good one to keep in mind. People look at health care reform and they're worried about how this about our health care system. And yet I see doctors performing um, amazing things uh, for people day in and day out. Uh, but we also hear that things need to improve. Um, do you have a sense of, of what are the areas um, within your medical center that are targets for uh, making improvements? Well, there is an absolute need to improve from what is already a very high standard of care. We would consider that until there is absolutely no avoidable harm in our organization, there is always room for improvement. And so even today, despite tremendous progress and efforts, there are some people who suffer complications of being in our care as they do in other medical centers around the nation. And we are absolutely committed to reducing um, that what we call avoidable harm to zero or as close to zero as possible. Well, what would be some examples of, of this kind of avoidable harm? Well, uh, patients who fall or develop a pressure ulcer have what we would consider avoidable harm. People who develop certain kinds of healthcare-associated infections, be it from catheters in the bladder or the bloodstream or pneumonias associated with a breathing machine, all of these are examples of avoidable harm, which we are actively and aggressively involved in reducing to as near to zero as possible. Well, what is the risk now? Um, do we, do we, can, we, can we tell people how safe or people talk? Gosh, they, they talk about the hospitals like one of the least safe places you could be, some of them. Um, not some of the hospitals. Some people talk that way. 
What kind of risks you know, on a well, hospital magnitude care are we talking about? is in general very, very safe, but it is not as safe as we, be- as we believe it can be. And we are un- will be unsatisfied until we reach that latter goal. So uh, our organization, as in most high-performing academic and other medical centers around the nation, has in the last 10 years had a renewed and constant focus on patient safety and eliminating avoidable harm. And we have made great strides in that decade. You're listening to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Feldman. We're speaking today with Dr. Russ Howerton. He's Vice Chief Medical Officer at the Wake Forest University Baptist Medical Center. This is exciting that that, that, uh, safety is improving. So what are some of the major initiatives and what have you all achieved? Well, uh, we have reduced the incidence of what we call ventilator-associated pneumonia by careful adherence to a well-demonstrated bundle of processes, which evidence shows results in a reduced rate. Things like what? Are are we talking about something complicated or something simple like hand-washing? Well, um, I would only take issue with your phraseology. Excellent. There's nothing simple about any of these interventions in terms of driving execution to the 99th percentile. However, you are correct. The interventions do not represent profound technological or scientific changes. They relate to things such as positioning the head of the bed, uh, managing the patient's appropriate tubes into the appropriate locations, the washing of hands, certain kinds of mouth care, care of the catheters that might be in the bloodstream or the bladder. So, yes, all of these uh, are deceptively non-technological, but far from simple in that success depends upon near-perfect compliance by a complex group of humans. So it's not rocket science or brain surgery after a fashion. It's, it's the simple things and getting people to do them right. As a surgeon myself, uh, I might say that surgery is easier than getting 14,000 people to uniformly wash their hands all the time. Wow. But uh, we as in most organizations, have made great progress in this in the last 10 years. And we will not rest until we reach near perfection. I get the sense you are not going to rest at all. Well, not not as long as we have any avoidable harm here. Uh, that, that is an, um, our mission to, to eliminate. So, so let's pick one of these things, um, whether it's the head positioning or the hand washer, what have you, what what is done to actually change people's behavior within the organization? Well, behavioral change in complex uh, systems is a is a team based process that involves creating an awareness amongst all of the team members of the appropriate behavior, structuring the environment so that by far the easiest thing to do is the correct behavior, providing feedback and stimulating the groupthink and peer pressure that leads to uniform behavior and then measuring the outcomes over time to reinforce the changes. And this kind of improvement is a hands-on, unit-by-unit, I would say, quote, retail 
hmm. as opposed to wholesale process. It is not a case of a single moment in time or sweeping edict or mandate, but rather constant improvement work at the local level. We have implemented and are developing a co-management model involving a physician leader and an administrative leader, most often a nurse, at every unit or location of care uh, charged with helping drive these team-based processes around our, our measures to perfection. You mentioned team-based. That's a term I hear thrown around a lot now. Is that just a terminology difference, or is, a, is it a real difference from the way things used to have been done? Well, we would perceive it to be a fundamental structural change. We've had a major organizational change at our institution that has brought what have in the past been disparate organizations together in one structural entity, and that has facilitated providing common purpose to people across the spectrum of care, both physician and non-physician, so that they can focus on common goals and, and work in collaborative teams. So I, my observation, having been here about 20 years, is that we have had a fundamental shift in our actual structure. I think some people would would wonder whether it's a fundamentally different way for doctors to be thinking about what they do. Is, is that true? Um, I would certainly acknowledge that the model of training that it existed at the time I came through focused on the development of personal uh, excellence and autonomous responsibility. And that brought us a great distance in the last century. Um, the place we found ourselves, though, was not the highest and loftiest plateau to which we can climb, in my opinion. And there are ways of functioning as the leader of a team that I believe will carry physicians of the next generation to even higher plateaus of safety and quality. Is that what you're teaching in the medical school now, or, or do the students just pick that up um, um, in their participation in the clinics? I would tell you that I have less direct responsibility for the curriculum in the medical school. I know the concepts we describe inform many of the faculty who are leaders in the medical school, but I am perhaps not best qualified um, to, to speak about our school. I will tell you that we, as, as most academic medical centers, of course, every year bring people from a, many medical schools, and it still remains a work in progress to convert undergraduate medical education to the kind of thinking I described. And so our organization, like most others, does spend significant time helping train and grow those who come to give care here into this team-based approach. Very good. Besides the patient's uh, safety issues, are there, um, are there um, other, other issues that... Um, the medical center is working towards improving? Well, we are constantly striving to measure ourselves and our clinical outcomes to improve quality as well as safety. And, you know, safety is a basic trait of freedom from harm, but quality implies uh, a higher goal, which is 
not only freedom from harm, but an excellent outcome in whatever disease process we have in place. So our efforts are focused in a variety of centers of excellence to include areas of heart and vascular disease, cancer care, pediatrics, the neurosciences, neurology, and neurosurgery. And in each of those areas, we are seeking to, to drive better and better measurement tools into our system because it is by me- <coughs> excuse me measuring that we can understand our performance and um, seek higher and higher goals. We hear in the news that uh, you know the government wants to pay for performance and you measure outcomes. Is that is that tied to what you're doing now? Um, well, we are certainly seeking to improve outcomes independent uh, of whether that is the payment methodology. It is, I would agree with the observation that uh, it is likely to um, impact our um, payment methodologies, but that perhaps would be the subject for several entirely different call-in shows. Yeah. You know, I, I wonder if you're at a, a leading medical center as you are and you're and people are sending you the sickest patients, how are you supposed to compete on measures of outcome with, say, uh, another organization who's taking care of people who are much less ill? Well, the, the science of what's called risk adjustment uh, is important whenever one reports data. And um, and um, we uh, believe that in all spheres where data is compared publicly, risk adjustment is important. Um, where it can be done, it is done. Where it can't be done, we need to note that. We would take the approach that we are constantly striving to improve our care and happy to be accountable in every public format which is nationally accepted and will strive to achieve results that um, will speak for themselves. Outstanding. All right. Well, uh, Dr. Howerton, um, we're towards the end of our time. Um, I was wondering if you have any suggestions for our, um, for our listeners, things they can do to have better health or make sure they can get better health care? Well, for sure, the thing that they can do to have better health is the avoidable social and personal behaviors which contribute to unwellness. So avoid avoiding tobacco use, both smoking or otherwise, using alcohol, if at all, only in moderation, refraining from drinking and driving, wearing a seatbelt, controlling blood pressure, controlling one's weight, controlling diabetes well, controlling one's cholesterol. These things will by far account for much greater benefit to our population as a whole than um, any specific medical advance. Yeah, I remember in medical school them showing me the curve of life expectancy in the, in America over the last hundred years. Indoor plumbing made a huge difference. Right. Uh, penicillin made a little bit of difference, 
and no other things seem to make a whole lot of change um, other than maybe the, some of these these social things that our medical system for as as good as it is for the for for the many modern miracles people are themselves in in to a great degree responsible for how healthy they are at least on average right all right well thank you so much for your time today anytime thank you very much our healthcare system produces amazing miracles some of these things are quite glitzy heart and lung transplants brain surgery done without cutting modern medicines that i use in my practice for patients things that target specific proteins in the immune system to control disease without the side effects that older medicines had gene therapies that can change people's lives but aside from those glitzy treatments great health care on a day-to-day basis involves attention to people's personalities to providing a personal experience but also as dr howerton points out to details Boy, Dr. Howerton is the kind of detailed, devoted, solid person you want behind the scenes, making sure that everything is done exactly the way it needs to be, all the little tiny things. One wonders if someday we won't be using barcodes and standardization of procedures to address a lot of those those issues. But at the same time, we're going to have to have balance because we want to maintain the sense of personal attention from our doctors, that interpersonal interaction that makes us feel cared for. Somehow I have the sense that a barcode may help make sure that we get the right medicine, but it may make us feel like our medical care is depersonalized in some way. Doctors like Dr. Howerton are going to have to figure out how to get the best of both those worlds. All of us, Patients and even the doctors are going to have to get used to these changes. One of the things that will help, that will help guide the treatment, the guide the way the system changes, is feedback from patients because there's growing awareness that that kind of feedback helps doctors and helps the system know what kind of changes are in patients' best interests. Doctorscore.com is a wonderful way for you to give feedback to your doctors. There's certainly other other ways. Um, that hospitals are using to collect feedback from patients. Now, on this week's show, we didn't spend much time talking about the cost of care. We're going to talk about that in detail next week with J.P. Weiske. He's the executive director of the Council for Affordable Health Insurance. After that, we'll get back to an issue related to the quality of care. That's the electronic health record. We'll be speaking with attorney Alicia Galeski, who's an expert on the privacy issues that come up with respect to electronic health records. Well, that's it for today. Our theme music is by the incomparable Michael Zioli. Until next time, I wish you the best of health. Thanks for listening to the show today. Remember to go to DrScore.com to get and give feedback about your doctor and to read others' recommendations about doctors in your area. It's a way to choose your path to healthcare empowerment. That's D-R-S-C-O-R-E.com, DrScore.com. And we'll see you next week right here on Getting Better Healthcare. 